<laughs> anyway. Shall we begin? Let's do this. Do you think we have an intro in there somewhere? Probably not, to be honest. So welcome back to the Semi-Sewing Podcast. So this week, uh, I gave Tom Keaton Henson and Tom gave me Placebo. What should we start with, Tom? Um, should, we, should we start with Keaton? Let's start with Keaton. Miss you terribly already. Miss the space between your eyelids where I'd stare through awkward sentences and avoid through awkward silence. I haven't been impressed. <laughs> I don't understand what you get out of him. I don't get anything out of it, Tom. Right. It's not the point. What is the point? Because a part of me wants to, to get him and, and understand him. Another part of me wants to just fucking ignore it. Or <laughs> it's just, like, for me, it's just compl- it's so, so dull. And I don't get the hype. Like I- Zane Lowe saying, it's the most beautiful record I've ever heard. <laughs> or whatever he said. And I'm just like, Re- Really? Is that Zane Lowe? It's the most important bit of music I've ever heard. <laughs> I think that's very accurate, Zane Lowe. <laughs> I, I was looking forward to hearing what you had to say because I either you loved it and then suddenly I had someone to talk about with Keaton Henson or you, were, you weren't going to like it and that would be amusing. And it's neither, really. Well, it's uh, neither funny... It's not <laughs> funny nor clever. Uh, no, I didn't... Okay, I really did hate his acoustic stuff. Any time he sort of sang, I didn't enjoy it. Similarly to sort of Dry the River, I got quite irritated with a lot of it. Yeah. Um, that being said, his album as Behaving was, was different and quite enjoyable. I thought you'd like that. His instrumental album they did with the cellist was stunning. Yes. Okay, so I I, I st- I'm I'm having a really nice walk, right? I'm walking. I'm 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 just about. To, I'm I'm in Green Park. I'm just about to come up to Buckingham Palace, and I'm gonna walk through Victoria. And I, yeah, I think I'm walking home. I'm walking. I'm walking to somewhere that a good time is gonna be had for sure. And I'm like, you know what? This is a perfect opportunity. It's a nice, peaceful walk. I'll whack on some Keaton Henson because, you know, from what I gather from Cameron, he's quite, you know, relaxing artist. Just like the first track, or oh, no, the second track, of course, because of course he has a fucking prelude. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Were you not? Were you not getting a lot out of the the prelude? Not really. <laughs> um, and nor do they get a great deal out of it, the first track. Um, uh, or the second. It's uh, <laughs> uh. so irritating. It's so, so irritating because it's like you are not saying anything. Like, I ju- you just, you may as well stick to being a spoken word artist if you're not going to do anything interesting musically. In later albums, he did do interesting stuff with music. So, this is my initial thought as I'm walking through Green Park. As I was listening to it, I'm like, what does Cameron get out of this? I'm so confused, because there's there's nothing to this. Because you can't, even if it's lyrics, I know you love your bloody lyrics, you can't understand him. He is so shy. <laughs> Do you not understand the lyrics? I understand the lyrics. I can't hear the lyrics. You sure it's just not because I've recommended it? Probably. <laughs> it's just <laughs> immediately ignore everything the artist is saying. <laughs> Uh, it's probably dribble. <laughs> As is tradition on this podcast, I will tell you that this is my favourite album of all time. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, so I probably should start there. Are you okay? I'm okay. No, yeah, no, I'm fine. Um, can you imagine if I just cried and now and I just completely broke you, down? You could do that though. This, I'm actually, I'm actually, this was it. I'm actually quite curious. So the microphone's away now. The microphone's now. away. Uh, I'm actually quite curious. Like, I caught it just in case. It's quite good. Um, <laughs> yeah, how, I, how would you say you've suffered depression? No, never. Okay, great. Um, you sure? You're gambling there, weren't you, Tom? Yeah. No, not at all. And I, I feel incredibly lucky to have. And... To have what? To have not, sorry. 
So I, I agree with you on some level, right? I wouldn't put this on as like a background album while I was <laughs> doing the housework. You always use chores as well as your... Like, <laughs> you need to listen to music doing or, more interesting stuff. Well, what else do you do? I go for walks or I just sit down and listen. The, the absolute raw emotion of it just really took me in. Not because I was in a bad place or anything. I see a lot of people talk about how he's got them through lots of things. Um, which I can see I can see why people would think that. I really can't. Can you not? No, I really can't. I was about to ask, like, when you were going through some like tough times and listened to him, how did it make it better? I think it's partly a a supporting thing, a someone else feels like I'm feeling. Like if you went round to a friend and said, Oh, I'm feeling really down and they also said, Well, I'm feeling down, you'd actually be a bit like no, I'm the one feeling down. Can you be a bit supportive here? Yeah. Um, but actually listening to music, it has that distance that you go, oh, God, okay, yeah. This And actually sometimes some of the things he sings about and the way he sings about them, you go, wow, he's encapsulated my thought there in a beautiful way that I couldn't. And there's a connection there. I think that's beautiful. But I see why you wouldn't like it. It's very... It's very specific. Yeah. Maybe I'm just, like, emotionally immature. But I just think that's, like, really... I can't see how it's helpful. What music? I, obviously, I don't think he's writing music to be helpful. <laughs> like, yeah. It's definitely for him. Um, but, it, yeah, it's, it's people saying, like, oh, it's really helped me through a tough time. <laughs> I just can't help but think listening to it make it worse. <laughs> I just don't feel like there's any artist like him. Which you'd argue... That's a good thing. <laughs> um, on that first album, was there any song that you thought, this is all right? No. <clears throat> the first one I listened to was Small Hands. I, I hope for your life You forget about mine on reflection, Small Hands is probably the most palatable song on the album. I'll take palatable. Yeah. Okay. I think there's still... And this is probably quite harsh, and I think on first listening, I was quite critical of its guitar playing. Hmm. Because um, I just felt it wasn't great. Very much an armchair pundit. Sat in my <laughs> armchair, uh, obviously. Um, Wait, what do you mean by not great? I felt like it just it wasn't coming through a great deal. Um, the guitar playing it felt like there were a lot of not bum notes but like notes that weren't like it, it felt like how I would play guitar <laughs> but then understanding how he wrote and recorded this album it really it, it wasn't for public consumption no um, and it, it just sort of you could argue got lucky or probably for him a bit unlucky um, <laughs> I'm being genuine because he's you know he's such a shy guy I doubt he'd release this and hoped that he'd be like mega successful out of it I actually see the guitar playing in it Especially the first song as really indicative of what the album represents. Good podcast word. Thank you. Um, that's word of the podcast. Just like, uh, is it because of the, there's a, he's so shy? Uh, and that even his guitar playing is just like really shy. Yeah, so um, you don't know how lucky you are. You know, not to talk. I've tried to play that and it, you can't really because the notes are so unique to his in, his delivery of the song. He plays one, like, is there even a beat per minute to it? I didn't research that. Classic stuff to get, Tom. Sorry. These are the easy things. I mean, I mean, so, but that in itself is a ridiculous question because, of course, there is a beats per minute. Well, of course, there's a beats <laughs> per minute, but he plays a note very distantly and it's very insular. And when you watch him play, he hunches over the guitar and you can see he, f he 
he feels every single note he plays and you're right it's that very personal and insular guitar playing which isn't perfect and he's not aiming to be perfect he's just merely pouring out his emotion it's a bit pretentious isn't it it's not not everything that is good is pretentious tom (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it's not good (laughs) it's good it's critically good Mm. (laughs) not from this critic (laughs) (laughs) It's not pretentious. It's not pretentious. So, Dry the River, you got annoyed because he was talking about dancing with a shipping forecast and you were like, oh, that lyrical sound good to people. He literally sits there and goes, I love you. You've moved on to someone else. Does he hug you like I did? I miss you. Oh, my God. Yeah, who says those things? Keep them bottled up, Keaton. <laughs> 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 but he can't and that's how he releases it look if we start discounting artists because they're pretentious we're only going to have about four episodes of this <laughs> and this concludes the cemetery podcast <laughs> yeah, I'm being an ass. <laughs> have you seen his um, art very small amount of it's depressing not. as well funny that I wasn't expecting Andy Warhol no, um, I mean it's quite good but it's um, it's dark like, all the album artwork as well is all very... He's like odd Vincent and... van Gogh, but of a modern age. And oh, please, just come here, don't fight with me. The second album I felt was much of the same. Um, birthdays. Until... Birthdays, yep, sorry, birthdays. Uh, I did, there were a couple of songs that I actually really enjoyed on that. He throws in a couple more elements, doesn't he? Yeah, he suddenly becomes Rocky. I find he's saying probably a great deal, but I'm not feeling it yeah. because I'm not getting the same amount of emotion in his music. I think that's why I struggled with the first album to really understand it. It's quite formulaic that if you don't like his voice and the fact he's playing an acoustic guitar, the whole album's lost on you. Birthdays, um, the two songs. So actually, it might be it might be interesting if you guess. Which songs on birthday you think I liked? Okay. Milk Teeth. Darling, your arms are backwards, you know. Nope. Oh, that Kronos. I've been looking for you all year long. Just to tell me I have not been wrong. Yes, that, that's, that's really one. Really heavy. Heavy feeling. Nice riff. Yeah. Enjoy the riff. Yeah, that's one. That's, that's the one. obvious one, I think. So I'm looking for ones that aren't classic Keaton, or are you saying it's not obvious because it is a bit more classic Keaton? You? Yes. You. Really like you. That is probably one of the few tracks where I feel like I get him because it's like the music's really emotive and it's pretty I can sit down and close my eyes listen to that and feel emotional I'm probably still not listening to what you're saying <laughs> but like the music is um, it's nice it's well performed it's produced really nicely can I read you a couple of lyrics from it please do if you must speak speak every word as though it were unique if you must die sweetheart Die knowing your life was my life's best part. It's very intense. It's very intense. It needs to calm down. Did you watch any videos of him playing live? Yeah. Well, I think I watched one. He looks and performs exactly how you think he would. Beardy, hunched. Yeah, beardy, hunched and tweedy. Well, he's got, he's got such massive stage fright, hasn't he? Yes. Like, severe panic attacks before performing. Did you read about his first tour? I thought it was really interesting and really good idea. Keaton Henson recorded himself performing mm-hmm. on camera and then designed a little exhibition. And in that exhibition, a person will sit down, look inside a house, and Keaton Henson will walk out and play a song. 
Yes, I've not. I've, was it a hologram? I think it was a hologram, hologram or or, or, a, or a, a projection, an exhibition in Shoreditch Gallery called Gloaming. He came up with the novel idea of performing a series of intimate concerts in a custom-made doll's house to a single person at a time. Those first those first gigs were very intimate. Do you think that's the best way for that sort of music to be performed? I don't think that sort of music should be performed. <laughs> it lends itself to intimate concerts. So I went to see him at the London Palladium. I'm so glad you got to see him. I was really, I was thinking this when I was researching him. I was like, it's going to be really sad for him if he hasn't been able to see him. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, genuinely. And did that make you connect with the sad music? No, not at all. So I saw him after his third album came out. And he was funny and he interacted with the crowd, but you could tell it wasn't like, it wasn't an act. He, he, was, he was very insular. He went, oh, this, this will be the last gig for a while probably because this is really tough. That gig, and I'm not just saying this because it's the podcast, is probably the best gig I've ever been to. Why? Well, they imagine the experience you got with you. You listen to that, you go, okay, I'm starting to get that feeling, that emotion. Imagine that with a thousand people in a dark room. He had Ren Ford, the cellist, with him playing. He sounds note perfect and that emotion in that atmosphere was just unbelievable i've i've never witnessed that in a gig before i feel like you would have been very uncomfortable about the entire thing i'm quite uncomfortable just hearing about it (laughs) i took a friend who hadn't really heard of him before do you still speak to them it's been a bit cold with me ever since shall we go back to birthdays i enjoyed the fact that his um he had a couple more rocky songs on Uh, another highlight for me was don't swim just goes wild i like that i like that artist it sort of reminded me a bit of uh ben howard the end of the affair almost more angry in this album it's more throwing it out there and more he's more accusatory almost sometimes and so sweetheart what have you done to us felt the music was it was a lot more emotive you can tell he's sort of pushing himself out there a bit more which I enjoyed for a few tracks like um, it wasn't, I didn't find like <laughs> not, let's it, not get ahead of us it literally just those three tracks I thought they were interesting the rest I, were just similar quiet quiet and shy okay yeah so after birthdays um, there was romantic works Which I really enjoyed. So this is... As soon as, he, as, soon as he shut up <laughs> and let somebody else take centre stage, it was really, really enjoyable. Why do you like it? I put it on while I was working and it made me stop working to listen to it. It's genuinely one of the best contemporary classical music albums I've ever heard. I think he is he is a composer. And then this is this actually pissed made me more pissed off at his first album. Because it's like if you have this inside of you, why are you wasting your time <laughs> writing these soppy lyrics about how someone doesn't love you anymore? Get like, over it. Or put that in music. played live he played a couple of songs from it but you're right I, I didn't go oh that's elevator song um i just sat there and was completely entranced 
That's not a word. It can be though. I think it, is that a word? It works for what it it's does. Very keen it does. word, isn't it? And Ren Ford as a cellist. Not that I know anything about um, cellism. <laughs> no, but that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> He's good. Renford's good. Yeah. I listened to Behaving. I quite like the fact that because he's done it's in a very different genre. He's he's done it as a different under a different alias. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was interesting. Like his his use of, of synthesizers and his use of his voice was very different to his Keaton Henson stuff. It's worth checking out. It just reinforces how much of a creative dude he is. He is a creative dude, yeah. yes. And on the being the creative dude and sort of following on from the classical music side, yeah. he's composed a couple of ballets and I went to see him. It was an orchestra playing his composition. Uh, it was called Six Lethargies. Six letter G's. Letter G's. Okay. <laughs> Just put six G, letter G, G's. G, G, G. <laughs> the fourth one really hit home. <laughs> six letter G's. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Was Keaton's attempt to use an orchestra to portray feelings of anxiety. Blimey, did he manage it. It was sort of minutes long of high-pitched but yet still quite tuneful violins which me sat here going high-pitched tuneful violins doesn't quite encapsulate it <laughs> so let's power through we've only got one more album left his most recent album kindly now mm-hmm. i think the title song kindly now no no witnesses was the only song i really liked oh. Is quite an odd one, partly for the fact when he played when he played it live, he he sort of sighed just about when he was about to play, and he said, "Oh, this is really difficult to sing." The video for it. This is one of Cameron's video recommendations of the week. <laughs> All Right by Keaton Henson, which is him singing it, pretending it's karaoke, and he sings it with a face how you'd imagine he'd sing it, but he sort of swings himself around like he's trying to be happy playing karaoke, and it's really creepy. Well worth checking out, then. The only other criticism I have, it's actually not of Keaton Henson, it's about... Uh, criticisms of Keaton Henson. And he's been c- compared to Jeff Buckley, vocally. Uh-huh. And I don't get it. Because I, I can... Maybe with the softly sort of stuff. But if you listen to this bit of Grace... listen to that it's like the control he has when he gets to those upper registers and like no disrespect to Keaton Henderson it's he hasn't got a strong voice I think his voice no. his voice works for what he's trying to say I think his voice is completely unique and that's the reason you hate it and that's the reason I like it <laughs> but <laughs> I'd, it'd be in- I don't like unique people <laughs> it'd be interesting everyone get in the correct box <laughs> I'd be interesting to see him challenge his voice, but maybe push himself to those higher, no- those 
bigger notes. I don't know, I, but I think you're right. He does what he does best, and I've never, I've never listened to anyone and thought, oh, that's like Ian Hansen. Yeah. Do you like the fragility of it? I like. I really like the fragility of it. Although I want another album from him. I'm not sure what I want. Um, kindly now, beautiful, stunning. I'm not sure what else I want. I'd, I'd actually know. I do know what I want. I, know, I want another Romantic Works. Is he one of your favourite artists? He, he's one of those artists that I think I've always loved, but seeing him live just absolutely cemented that, and he will always be around. And it's there. always good when that happens. If I said to you, we're going to watch Keaton Henson's do an orchestral arrangement. <laughs> It doesn't. It doesn't actually fill me with any excitement. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> the idea of an that's evening. fine. I'll ask someone else. I think actually, part of me would like to go with you, just see your little face. Maybe if you know other people who like Keaton, take them first. <laughs> <laughs> the whole point of this entire podcast, really, is when next time I we go for a pint, I go, oh, I listened to that new Keaton Hansen album. It's great. You go. Mm. When you turn your nose up. I now know, at least you've tried. It's a justifiable it nose justified. turn. It's justified, and that's all right. That's yeah. fine. That's opin- your opinion. But beforehand, you hadn't tried, Tom. No, I'm sorry. But now I have, so I'm a good now person. Now you have. And that's, that's that. That's the end of part one. So I... Um... I've been quite stressed this week, actually, about what you? you were going to think about Placebo. Why, why has that stressed you out? I really wanted you to like them. And as I've, I've been listening to them this week, and I'm like, how, how can he not not like them? Oh, I'm so tempted to just ignore everything I've written and just be like, yeah, hate them, Tom. Yeah, but then I was just like, well, you hated Keaton Henson, yeah. so <laughs> you get what you deserve. Um, uh, so how was your week? Good, actually. Good. Is it, is it begrudgingly good? <laughs> no, no, no. no it, so, I, so you're right. I've heard a couple of placebo songs. Pure Morning, I'd heard. A friend in need, a friend indeed. A friend with weed is better. A friend with breasts and all the rest. A friend with... I've always been aware of them. Yeah. Not massively got into them. Firstly, they're British. They're, well, they're British. British. Well, that, okay, that was my first question. Why the hell does Wikipedia describe them as an English band when they're a Scot slash American and two Swedes? It's weird as well because they're like the Europeans. They're like European students. So yes. they're in school together in this uh, American boarding school in Luxembourg or something. Brian Markowitz says that he, the only home he really felt at home at was in Scotland. So he sees himself as Scottish. Yet he's not. No. <laughs> like, doesn't sound Scottish. Doesn't sound American. Doesn't sound English. He just sounds very European. Well, he sounds a bit American. I thought when I'd always heard them before, I assumed they were American. No. Um, but they started in London. Yeah, they're, they're so, London-based, I suppose. My my then subsequent question from that was, could they ever be nominated for the Mercury Prize? Which is, I think, the criteria, which actually was last night. Congratulations to Dave. Well done, Dave. Look, I grew up in Streatham. Teachers were giving man tests. Same time the man were giving out testers. Dave, I think that 50% of your band have to be... British? I did not know that. So. You can't really describe them as British. Not to be UK about this, but... British Awards for British bands. <laughs> <laughs> Just as a little side note to the whole accent thing. It's quite interesting. Okay. Um, did you ever watch any interviews with their third drummer, Steve Forrest? Good British name. Yeah. Well, he's, he's from California. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the only thing I focused on. Well, it's, it's, any, it's any note the, I've got, Tom. Just <laughs> not English, question mark. <laughs> I really liked and hadn't appreciated before the whole androgyny. I think that whole, the sort of gender fluidity stuff, put them way ahead of where they were. So I loved reading about whole, the whole 
when they first started, everything was Britpop and that was the big scene and they were a complete antithesis to that. And Brian talks about the the sort of um, macho laddie culture that came with Britpop and he wanted to be against that and um, really show that up. And I thought that made them stand out massively and I'd never researched that before and that was really interesting. The best quote <laughs> I found... I really wanted all these homophobic laddie guys to turn up to my concert, see me there, and he um, sort of wears makeup and dresses very feminine, doesn't he, when he performs? And he really wanted all these guys to turn up and go, that lead singer's really fit. (laughs) (laughs) And then go home and realise it's a bloke. (laughs) Similar, have you you ever heard of um, Ezra Furman? Religion. Well, my intellectual friends are all denying God. Uh, similar vein it talks about these sort of gender fluid themes. A bit more varied, not as continually heavy, rocky stuff. I still don't know whether I like his voice or not. Yeah, that I think that was one of my concerns that you'd struggle with his voice. I think I've, I think I've managed. Yeah. Um. As another comparison, uh, have you heard of Band of Horses? A sort of folkier, more whiny. Basically, quite a good midpoint between um, the two artists we've spoken about today. Uh, sort of, I suppose the thing with, with Brian's voice is a bit more nasally. So he's got the American twang, yeah. it sounds cool. Brian's got the more nasally thing, which I think is what would piss most people off. Yeah. It's quite similar to uh, Michael Stipes. I w- is I, it? I think so. I think it's quite uh, quite similar. He, he based his vo- his singing voice, when he found out he, he could sing, he based it on Michael Stipes' voice. And you know they did the song together. I won't be won over that easily, Tom. You can't just throw a band at me that have collaborated with Michael Stipe and... And David Bowie. And David Bowie and just hope that... I'll love it. I hope you love it. Anyway, <laughs> so I went to the first album. That was Placebo. They came out in 1996. And the whole lot, I think, is good. Just a sort of classic riff-based guitar album with just a complete uh, encapsulation of that teenage angst. Were you quite an angsty teenager? I wasn't. So what are you getting from this? I don't know. I just really enjoy it. Do you want to know how I got into them? Yeah, go on. It's quite random. Ooh, okay. Every Me, Every You it was on F1 2000, the PlayStation game. <laughs> My mum was on holiday and heard The Bitter End. Yeah. And had come back and asked my brother to uh, basically illegally download a placebo <laughs> He downloaded her um, the singles compilation, What's More Feeling? And then that was in the car. And I heard the song that was on F1 2000. So that happened. Deep. And so it's my mum basically got me into placebo. Oh. Yes, no, that, that album liked, it. I liked the themes, uh, liked how it went from Bionic... sort of not human straight into 36 degrees it's very insular it's very oh I'm a teenager don't know what I'm doing with yeah. life oh. is your favourite song on it Like Swallow No, but I can see why you might think it's my favourite. I got to near the end of the album, I thought, oh, last couple of songs, but fine. Then this one came on, and those whispered lyrics just 
drew drew me in a bit more. Yeah. I was about to be bored and about to be like, oh, there'll be another sort of riff. He'll whine over it. <laughs> but then I got taken in. Yeah, that's cool. And then the final song. The Hidden Track. The Hidden Track, HK, Farewell. written on an acid trip <laughs> you can tell to a point yeah I think they do instrumental tracks really well I'm trying to think like what my favourite song of this album actually is at the moment it's Bruce Pristine What did you think of their production? Is that something you listen to? Not massively. Because, like, for me, that's what makes me really enjoy listening to them so much is because the music is always driving. The drums that they get are... They they really... Even if you're listening on, like, shitty headphones, they really drive the song and they really... They sort of hit you in the chest still. Mm -hmm. They have sort of managed to achieve that live feeling in your ears. Playing technique what's being used, and how it sounds. It's just full package for me. The final thing I have to say about that album is the rather amusing Daily Mail article I found about the boy on the cover, the David Fox, who is the boy on the cover, tried to sue them because he got severely bullied. Like, the album got to number five, Apparently that made his life hell. So and it was it was a classic sort of Daily Mail article with little things like David Fox trains as a chef and was made redundant in the recession, whereas Placebo went on to have five <laughs> more studio albums and sell over ten million records <laughs> due to immigrants. Um, it's the problem with immigrants; they just keep buying Placebo records. <laughs> was it before that album they supported Bowie? But we liked had 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 listened to them and liked them and invited them to come to his like fiftieth birthday party or something. He quote said, "I'm looking forward to seeing them grow because I'm never going to die." So um, without you, I'm nothing. We move on to without you, I'm nothing. Yes, opens with pure morning. <laughs> What a song that is. That's that's my favourite placebo song. Not theirs. So they had the album done and they recorded this during a B-side session. I don't think they were entirely happy with the album anyway, but they recorded it and they thought, oh, we'll stick it on the album. And I think possibly the record label or someone went, there's your single. Brian Molko, he said he, said he likes the music... He doesn't like the lyrics, but it's definitely 100% their best song. It's interesting that it's that good, but yet they didn't play it for 10 years. Because he doesn't like the lyrics. I don't think the lyrics are that bad. I love the, a friend in needs, a friend indeed, a friend with weed is better. I just think that's a great, catchy line. I think he's a madman not to enjoy them, but any other highlights on this album? Yes, so, You Don't Care About Us... I think sounds very similar to Just Like Heaven by The Cure. And then that amused me because the fact they're called placebo and the fact they're as effective but not quite as successful as The Cure, I thought was just quite amusing. That's a... Yeah, that's a very good point. That was quite an astute point, I thought, and yeah. I was quite happy with that. Well done. Thank you. I doff my cap to you. But I still I still loved that song. I thought that was really, really good. And a slightly more upbeat, like quite an upbeat riff. What did you think of Without You, I'm Nothing? Okay, it didn't. I, I, it didn't massively stand out to me. I've, I've, I've since today. I listened to the version with Bowie on. Sick. I'm 
And I wasn't blown away because I wanted them to do like a verse each. I thought together actually, it, that's how it didn't really work. That's all right. I think it works. Yeah, it works. I, did, I, I, I didn't. Not for you. If I'd listened to it, I wouldn't have gone, oh my God, that's David Bowie on that track yeah. without knowing it was David Bowie on it. I think songs like Every You, Every Me, Stood mm. Out. It's a great song. And made famous by F1 Oh, okay, because that, because that's the highest one on Spotify, which I'm surprised about. Well, it's definitely not because of F1 2000. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so My Sweet Prince is one of my favourite ones on this album. Me and the dragon can chase all the pain away. So before I end my... I think this second album is my favourite. Oh, okay. I like the fact his voice was a bit lower and made it made the lyrics a bit more accessible. What did you think of Scared of Girls? Uh, I related. But yeah, no, that that album, loved it. Oh, I'm really glad. Good. It's all it's, good. Yeah, it's not one of my favourites. I start to go a bit downhill from here, Tom. Yeah. I'm no, I would agree with you in the sense that I think the third album isn't very good. But with some huge highlights, Taste in Men being one of them. Why do, you, why do you like that? I think it's similarly to why I like Pure Morning. It's, it's, you've got this, um, the rhythm section is driving it. Yeah. I feel like in quite a unique way. And it's just, it's a very meaty and deep song. Yeah, no, this album, I, uh, the themes were a bit bigger. It was less personal, a bit more attacking society, a bit mm. more um, uh, sort of outwardly facing. I really like Blue American. I wrote this novel just for mom, for all the mommy things she's done. It's quite simple, quite beautiful. I think the, the issue with this process is if I said to you, you've got to listen to every placebo album tomorrow, it's quite relentless. Yes. And th- th- songs like that were a real relief. <laughs> Um, can I just say before I forget great name for a band by the fact that placebo is Latin for I will please great special K was another song that stood out on that album which is a big one no hesitation no I'd agree with that I enjoyed that song most intense song about cereal I've ever heard yeah um Nothing more to say, no, really. Yeah, um, they pretty much summed up the uh, yeah the industry there. Yeah, you don't need the woman in the red bathing suit. Absolutely not. You just need that. Yeah. The, another excellent final track. Um, yeah, the hidden tracks are really good. Yes. Evil Dildo. Yeah. Like slave to the wage was uh, was quite another one that stood out a bit. All it takes is one decision, a lot of guts, a little vision to wait. He's got a very good way of turning a phrase. So in slave to the wage, the lyric "a race for rats to die," I quite liked that. But I feel it. I feel it's slight. Possibly overdone sometimes. It's a bit, they've got one good lyric and then we'll continually run with that as opposed to just throw it in there just as a, oh, a thinker. Yeah. I prefer that to be a bit more subtle. Um, but that's you know, that's just me. I think it's because they want people to enjoy their music. What? <laughs> so, like, they want people Explain to... Explain that concept to, to me. To, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. What they want is when people listen to this... And, and come to their gigs. They want people to be able to enjoy themselves and sing along and have a good time. 
Yeah, see, I'm not buying that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Different it's an interesting concept. It probably won't catch on. No. What did you think of Sleeping with Ghosts? Is this your favourite one? Yeah. Oh, me. I think this one and Meds are really, really good albums. But this album, you've got Bulletproof Cupid, an amazing instrumental opener. Very hard hitting. I can understand that you might be a bit tired. That was the, yes. I, I that first song came on. And I was just like, oh god, more of this. Yeah. But you've got uh, English Summer Rain. As as I mentioned, I'd listened to the Once More with Feeling singles album before anything else. So when I eventually did get round to listening to Sleeping with Ghosts, uh, I was quite shocked at how uh, more unpolished English Summer Rain is in comparison to what they put out on their best of albums. Is it? Yeah, totally different mix. Well worth checking out. Sleeping with Ghosts is a beautiful song. That was my favourite one on that album. Again, it gives you a little breather, I suppose. I really liked that. And Bitter End. Like the build of that was epic. Um, that is my mum's favourite song. Aww. That's the song that she got into Placebo. That's for you, Felicity. So that, that we have my mother and the bitter end to thank for us all enjoying Placebo. The rest of that album, nothing massively stood out. Really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. This is actually quite. This, is this quite disappointing? I'm sorry. A little bit disappointing. I'm going to try and convince you. So this is I'll be yours. Just by what you were saying about um, the bitter end and how you like the build, I feel like you would enjoy "I'll Be Yours" just because it's one of those songs that is constantly building. I think I was mostly distracted at the end of that album by something rotten. Why are you distracted by that? Because it has sort of beeping in the back of it, which for three days I thought was a van reversing around the corner. (laughs) (laughs) And once I realised it was on the song, I couldn't listen to the song again. Oh, no. (laughs) The other massive highlight for this album is Protect Me From What I Want. We open the latch on the gate Did you listen to the French version? <laughs> no. <laughs> Dude. So there's several things I like about that song. The French version is so much better than the English version. That's so cool. Because, and again, it's similar to English Summer Rain. I, on the Once More Feeling album, it's the French version. I can't really listen to the original now without thinking it feels like the lyrics are being crammed in because it plays so nicely in French. Okay. Um, another thing I love about that song is like the screaming guitar noise uh, over the chorus. It's yes. like so intense. And it's a nice juxtaposition with the protect me from what I want and you've got this like screaming, tearing guitar sound. It's like, yeah, it's quite um, animal rutting behaviour. It's all very good. The other reason that I feel like I possibly skipped through that album quite quickly is the next album I saw was covers. Love a good cover, don't they? They do. They do. I think they do a bloody good cover. A ruddy bloody good cover. 
Which is your favourite song on covers? It was running up that hill. Then I'm going to do a video recommendation. <laughs> they play at Reading, I think it's 2006, and it's a very, very good rendition, and he sings it very, very well. Uh, while we're on the subject of covers, they did an EP in 2016 uh, called Life's What You Make It. The lead track from that is a cover of Life's What You Make It by Talk Talk. It is phenomenal. Have you not heard it? I haven't heard it. Have you heard the original? No. I'll start with the original. This is your <laughs> next 10 minutes. <laughs> Get a cup of tea, everybody. They took that and made this. Like, um, <laughs> on that album, the cover of Daddy Cool by Boney M. <laughs> Daddy, Daddy Cool. Daddy, Daddy Cool. I, I, I want to have a very quick discussion about covers. Okay. Because it doesn't happen in any other art form, does it? You wouldn't have, like, a Spielberg film... <laughs> So, you know, like, Wes Anderson wouldn't do Saving Private Ryan in the style <laughs> of Wes Anderson. I'm sorry, that, that's the best example I have ever heard <laughs> to anything. <laughs> because I want that film to happen. <laughs> Just lots, lots Just of, like... Bill Murray is a Nazi. <laughs> so, with some plinky-plonky music. <laughs> as, as Owen Wilson <laughs> tries to run up the beach or something whilst animated <laughs> so then we go on to Meds 2006 I think Meds was possibly my favourite song of theirs passers by were looking at me as if they could erase that Baby Did you forget to take your points? Baby Yeah, so I listened to that opening bit with the acoustic guitar. I was invested. I was like, yes, this album. Then realised it's with Alison Mosshart, who I initially hadn't heard of, but then Googled... She's done all right, and she. Did you click that she was in the kills? Well, then I was like, leading of the kills, and then when, oh my god, she's in Dead Weather as well, which yeah. is one of Jack White's infinitely many projects. Rest of the album. Post blue. Yeah, great bass line, isn't it? Really grungy. Mm. I think the only other highlight on this album is Song to Say Goodbye. Love that album. I think I think that was that one and the second one were the ones which caught me the most. Um, it's so weird, though, because, like, he has said that this album and the tour that did uh, after it was so hard and was, like, a real low point in the band. And, like, even him himself and uh, Stefan weren't speaking at the end of the tour. Really? They got rid of the drummer at the end of this yeah, album. Steve Hewitt. It's kind of crazy to think that it came from quite a dark place in the band's history. It, night and day between the Meds and Battle for the Sun, though. I liked it was a bit more expansive. Devil in the Details was my favourite song.
liked that lyric. I found myself really realizing his ability to pick out like a, a phrase that's really cool and build a song around it. And actually the fact you said that it's all about enjoyment of the song as opposed to having to dig deep and scurry around and find out what everything means. The rest of it, I was starting to get a bit sick of the rhyming couplet lyrics. I almost was crying out for a Keaton Henson just to spill some some spill some spill some smash smash <laughs> just say just say some words that don't rhyme mm. I was getting really sick of that by this point I have a horrible feeling I'm going to notice that a lot more yeah I'm <laughs> sorry <laughs> do you what's your opinion it's quite interesting my opinion of this album has gone down uh, one of the first gigs I went to go see was a placebo gig mm-hmm. and I saw them at the end of the meds tour um in Nottingham, which is not going to improve anybody's mood, um, but like you could tell that he he seemed like such a moody performer. So this album comes out. Don't even need to do research behind it to to understand that he's got clean. They have sort of turned a page and they're getting a new drummer, a young energetic drummer, and they wanted that so it would rub off on them. And when they go into the studio. And I think they've produced like a really sort of happier, more positive album. Uh, it's very self-reflective of, of uh, like coming out of this haze of, of drug addiction and jadedness of touring as well and then of being in a dark space. And at the time I remember thinking, this seems like a much more positive album. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I really loved how it started with Kitty Litter. I need a change of skin. I need a change. I need a change of skin. Just, I, I can understand why it's too much for you after a week of intense pursuing music because, again, it's a song that is straight into it. That lyric of I need a change of skin, realization of I need to change my ways, I need to be a better person, to be a cleaner person, just it's just, like you're saying with your analysis of the previous album, these little. Uh, turns of phrases that just it just very neatly sums up what he's going through. Um, another song I think is amazing on this album is Battle for the Sun. Again, I think that the title is probably um, quite self-explanatory for what he's going through at the time. Like the percussive elements at the start are really, really cool. The, the way the drummer's playing is a positive influence of a new drummer. It just feels like there's a different style there. It just really works very nicely into the into the um, into like a new new sound that they're going for. I hadn't appreciated how effective the change of drummer would have been. There's a very good documentary about this album that uh, is just making of Battle for the Sun. 40 minutes, well worth a watch, especially just for like general recording practices. It, it's um, just well worth a look at to see how a professional band goes about recording stuff. I feel like they had a thing, and I feel like that thing was possibly starting to become quite repetitive and you can see that in the reviews as well. Mm. The reviews start to say that they're not really... It's, it's this not really pushing boundaries. The only other things I've got to say about it is I, I saw them live again after this album and the difference between him after Meds and after Battle for the Sun was incredible. Yeah. So chatty, uh, smiling all the time and it was a much more enjoyable gig because of it. So then we come to Love Like Love which came out in... 2013 yeah oh in between that there's an ep called b3 yes. which is uh i think i think it's quite good actually i think it's better than love like love oh really <laughs> yeah i think b3 as a song is is brilliant it's a good ep as well it's well worth checking out so you weren't impressed with the album uh love like love yeah. No, I mean, it's... More poppy, more... It's like he's found happiness and he has no idea what to do with it.
the one lyric that sticks out is my computer thinks I'm gay. My computer thinks I'm gay. I threw that piece of junk away on the shore. I think that 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 song's brilliant. Yeah. Is way ahead of its time again. Like 2013, the whole Facebooky stuff was starting to become a big thing, but not massively. By this point, I actually think he's better than his lyrics. I think he's got better ideas. I almost want him to take that one good lyric per song and put them into one song. So, has Placebo been a better experience than you thought it would be? Better experience than I thought it would be. I didn't expect to like the first two albums as much as I did. By the end, I was tailing off. So, for example, if someone said to me, do you like Placebo? Previously, I would have gone, mm, yeah, no, I like Pure Morning. Whereas now, I'd go, yeah. Yeah, I like Placebo. That's progress. That's what we're here for on the Semitone podcast. Which is more than... You can save Keaton Henson. Our next episode, we're going to be trying something a little bit different. We're not hugely different. It's not as if we're going to be reviewing movies. We're basically just giving ourselves less work. Pretty much. Uh, we are ashamed to say that neither of us have ever given Radiohead much time. So we're going to commentate on Radiohead next week. So that'll be fun. Thank you very much for joining us on this week's episode of Semitone. We will see you very soon. Goodbye. Bye.